This podcast is recorded in Australia, on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I wish to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and give thanks to the knowledge they have shared. Welcome to Moments of Change. My name is Melanie Raymond and I'm a social designer based in Sydney, Australia and currently a director at the Australian Centre for Social Innovation. Moments of Change is a podcast dedicated to exploring the moments that we learn from as we seek to design and cultivate positive social change. In this episode, I speak with Summer Howard, a learning designer and founder of Eventful Learning in Australia. Summer is a key figure behind some of Australia's most forward-thinking learning and innovation strategies for education systems, non-profits and organisations. She's been a teacher, education leader, policymaker, advocate and facilitator of learning for students and professionals across every system and sector in Australia and has delivered global projects with teams including Education Changemakers, the Global Education Task Force on SDGs, reporting to the UN, IDEO's Teachers Guild, and the Australian Institute for Teaching and School Leadership. Summer discusses with me the biggest design challenge the Australian education system is now facing, the combination of the effects of the Australian bushfires and, of course, straight into dealing with COVID-19. She shares her current journey on co-designing a new architecture of learning that has deeply involved educators and young people in redesigning learning experiences at a whole school and community level. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Moments of Change. Summer Howarth, welcome to Moments of Change. Thank you. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. Finally. I know, finally. We've known each other for so long and we've never actually still met in person. It's great to have you on the show. Let's kick off. Can you describe your current role and how you're seeking to create positive social change? Sure. So I founded the Eventful Learning Co around 18 months ago. So being a founder of a little company is very exciting and learning experience designer. So what we do is we design great learning events and experiences, great learning strategy and great learning content. So I basically find other clever people that are going to help bring those projects to life and make sure that we've got the right people in the right seat there. So I guess around social changes, we do a lot of work in the education space and the for purpose space. So a lot of work Mm -hmm. that we are doing with education systems, a lot of work with government or semi-government bodies like Domestic Violence Resource Centre Victoria, Zoos Victoria. It's really, really ace to see those really for-purpose organisations come to life through learning. Now, I know we've known each other for a long time and you've had a couple of roles across that time. So how has your purpose sort of evolved over your career? How did you get into becoming a learning designer? A oh, teacher for about a million years. So I've always had a <laughs> You're not that old. Well, it feels like a million years. This year has felt like it's 100 years at least. Yeah. Um, But yeah, look, I've always been in education and it was really interesting early in my career as a teacher. I was very, very passionate around middle school learners. They're our sort of young adolescents and really 
got into a lot of learning and research in that space and quickly realised that it was actually in the professional development of other educators where I was getting a lot of traction. So I suppose my career evolved into doing a lot of teacher development. I did some policy work and then I worked in an innovation project, which I think is where we first met when I was working for the federal minister and then actually joined a consultancy that was looking at teacher-led innovation. And we worked all across the world on upskilling teachers, mainly teachers and principals in a process of design thinking. So I guess that's really where Eventful got its wings, really then thinking Mm -hmm. around the, the experience of learning, not just the content, but the experience that happens when you share that magic and that that profound connection with folks um, and build your hearts and smarts there. So that really led me to what I'm doing today, hanging out with lots of cool people and wanting to do it more selfishly. Now, you mentioned 2020. I can only begin to imagine the changes that have happened for schools Mm -hmm. and young people across 2020, of course, with the Australian bushfire season and then coming into COVID. We were talking before recording about it being really the biggest design challenge. What are some of the things that you've noticed across these last six months that you've taken away from this experience? It has been remarkable in watching teachers either step into becoming designers intentionally and using some of those skills (laughs) non-intentionally and then being able to backward map on purpose what they've been able to do. I mean, we all looked at the bushfires and as I said, we've really networked. It's one thing in Australian education that it's actually quite small and people know people and Twitter is huge for Australian educators. In fact, Twitter is, teachers are the biggest users of Twitter, so it's a bit like a big staff room. So oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I know, right? It's Who where knew? We all, it's where we all hang out. So bushfires happened. There was a lot of conversation because obviously we weren't at school at that point around the need to mm. pull resources, to share resources, to distribute them, to not just content and curriculum, but any bandwidth that anyone had. And so we thought, look, that's going to be a bit of a design challenge and it might actually amplify how we finally start to really authentically share things across schools and systems. And COVID came along. And what was really interesting, Mel, was I think there were a few folks that saw it as something that could hit Australia, could hit Australian schools. Some decided business as usual and some decided to put that black hat on and really get into the war room for a day or so and and look at what would disaster planning look like. I think the mm. bushfires helped that because we had such a critical disaster that it wasn't hard to get folks into that headspace, unfortunately. But, yeah, some of that disaster planning meant that we had about a 10-day window to completely shift school and schooling and it really meant that it was an all-in brawl. So it was it was a very interesting point in time, you know, folks like midnight texting, I've got, you know, young staff who we want to do PD, can we do that in an hour tomorrow? Or we've got a school of 3,000 students, how is it that we might bring them all online in 24 hours? And that's not something one person can do. So we really had to rally the troops there. Mm. It was huge and it continues to be huge as well. And I guess sort of the trauma experienced during that period means that I suspect it's an ongoing feeling that teachers enduring at the moment in regards to, you know, they haven't had a moment to catch their breath. How are they sort of feeling now? I can't imagine what it's like to continue to have to just keep going on and pushing on. 
tired. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a special shout out, I think, to Victorian teachers who really caught the brunt of bushfire season, plus now in second remote learning cycle. We're seeing a bit of a difference in the second remote learning cycle of being a lot more deliberate around what it is that students and teachers are experiencing by design. I guess there was a lot of Mm. emergency learning and now we're saying, well, this is now on purpose. We're now in the second round. We can iterate what we did. We can be a little bit more, I guess, tough on some of the things that we did in the first round and not be afraid to cut that or sunset that. I mean, the biggest Mm. thing in this round now, Mel, is that in systems and sectors across Australia, it's all very different. So even Melbourne is different to some of our more regional schools in Victoria. The Northern Territory schools that I worked with were only doing remote learning for probably two weeks and are now largely business as usual. But I think as a profession, you're quite right, that sort of trauma or shock or that feeling of being quite unsettled is still very, very pervasive. And we've just now got to be looking for amplifying the good and giving them a lot of tools and a lot of support to be able to very quickly pivot. They now know that word. They're starting to utilise a lot more words of design. <laughs> like we're pivoting our learning. I'm thinking, oh, that's a bit of a win, isn't it? <laughs> we're, we're using the nomenclature nicely. Yeah. <laughs> if I put my design hat on into that situation, have you been able to sort of draw some patterns and utilise sort of some design principles or perhaps some new design principles to really set yourselves up for how you go about being sort of adaptive in the future around education? Yeah, we're working on a project at the moment with Victorian government on how we might actually look at all of the user experience plus some research plus some anecdotal data and create actually a good set of design principles for online learning. This isn't just Mm. around how to use the tools, but this is around good, deep, pervasive learning. And we're, we're testing those out over the next couple of weeks and really looking at a group of champion teachers who will go off and design learning experiences in context around those design principles. And that's been probably a bit of an evolution of there's one thing to have a design process and and we know design thinking processes are all different but largely are the same, right? Like you you understand the user, you understand the problem, you think of an idea, you test the idea, you embed the idea or chuck the idea. It kind of wasn't the right time to go through that, but to have some solid principles that are almost like a directive to go forth and make sure that you design in has been quite interesting. So even ones like can you embed joy and levity in every experience that you possibly design? So we're saying now joy and levity can be designed into every experience, whether that be a teacher putting on a crazy hat on a Zoom or actually looking at things like bringing in Zoo's Victoria experiences into the classroom. Ah, yes. Yeah. So there's a whole thing of excursions that schools used to go on or have incursions. Well, now we're saying, can we design oncursions, which is quite fun. (laughs) (laughs) So design principles have been incredibly important for online engagement. So we're in the thick of testing those at the moment and iterating those, but obviously getting them out more rapidly than we possibly would have in 2019 or before that. What we've also done is sort of partner with a couple of organisations to check that they're on the right track. And there Mm. was one thing in school and in education that we did see was 
equity became the number one universal design principle that everyone went, oh, my goodness, this needs to be addressed right here, right now. So it's great to say the joy and levity, that's a learning principle. But in terms of a design principle for the delivery of education, even our most well-resourced schools, teachers were getting a view into the homes and lives of students, and that was incredibly confronting. So for us to be always having that on the forefront we found that there was at least 10% of the profession who responded to some surveys put out by some providers said it was equity and well-being were their number one and number two biggest design mm. principles that they wanted to make sure that we all adhered to. Absolutely. It's been really clear that there is so much inequity in and around young people's lives. How do we not sort of unsee that and use that to shape the learning systems moving forward and thinking about how can we use that to catalyse better outcomes for these young people as they face quite some uncertain future mm. ahead of them. Um, so, Summer, what is the moment of change that you've brought today to share with us? Oh, my goodness, particularly at this period of time. It's a moment of Almost yes, the time has come. I love that quote, that Nietzsche quote, the only thing more powerful than all of the world's armies combined is an idea whose time has come. And we have been working on, when I say we, you know, it's myself at Event4 plus my collaborators, that every child deserves to be successful in an education worth having. Now, that's not a new idea, but how we get to it is something that has been really challenging. So I think one of those concepts is truly around that idea of open sourcing learning design. It's been a real thing for a while of schools still create great stuff and it sits in silos. Even as recently as last year and in 2008, I was working with Atlassian on a project of scaling teacher-led innovation and we still couldn't crack the code with a playbook there. I feel like this shared COVID experience where you're quite right, you said prior is almost that shared trauma. We almost want to protect each other from those sort of feelings of fatigue or not feeling like we're well enough resourced or the realities of viewing into students' lives. That that number one thing now is, okay, if we crack the code on what great learning looks like, sounds like, and feels like, we've got a professional responsibility mm. to share that widely, loudly, and quickly. So that's probably been one of the biggest realizations. And I've got a bit of a story around it for what we've been working awesome. on. Yeah. So there's one particular school and it's really interesting. I don't often just work with one school. I tend to work with systems or bigger interconnected organizations. And we started on a journey of really looking at the DNA, the deep reason why we deliver learning at this particular school around 18 months ago. And one of the first things when we started to really crack the code, we took it to the board alongside the principal, director of learning design, and said, if we really get this right, and after we tested and iterated and really communicated well and land on that, that we need permission to give it away. It's an unusual ask, I think, particularly for an independent yeah. school, you know, a big organisation. And we gave the examples of Nike and IDEO and quite a few others that say the more that we open source this, the better it's actually going to be for an organisation and for all of the users. 
So we are just on the cusp of really launching by design, which is an architecture of learning and what it looks like to deeply and profoundly embed that in the lives of learners and their communities. So it's a very, very interesting, thorough, pervasive model. And we want to make sure that that is out there, not in saying, look at what this school is doing, but saying, hey, we actually took the time to co-build this with students, which has taken about a year. We've tested it, obviously, mm. under some very trying circumstances. <laughs> some very unique circumstances. Some unique circumstances. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's seriously robust. Obviously, as part yeah. of the strategy, it probably about, oh gosh, I don't, let's say 10 months ago, sitting down with this team and saying, what if a physical school wasn't required and that, that we were learning from wherever and it was this like, whoa, maybe in 10 years, it's blowing my mind. Yeah, 10 months later, <laughs> here we are. So it's actually really fundamentally tested. Has design been a good thing to have in this school? It's actually made mm. sure that we've been incredibly sustainable, that we have been very deliberate in what we have done. And actually, we're now at a point where we're ready to release it to the world and say, hey, this is what we reckon works. And one of the first things we did, Mel, when the first lockdown happened, we released those learning principles through Twitter. And that was one of the first catalytic points in sharing, teacher sharing practice and processes and structures. So it was really, really awesome to see. Tell me about some of the moments where you felt like you're sort of walking through a bit of quickstand. How have you sort of overcome those together with the people around you? I'd love to say that often there's a very deliberate process. Sometimes it's very much just the text messages around, let's give it another crack tomorrow or let's give this a try. I guess one of the things was to have the user on board from very early on. And in this project, there's two users. There was the teachers that were ultimately going to own this process and then also the students who were going to buy in or engage with it. So from 18 months ago, we decided very, very deliberately, which is one of the best things that we did, to design the whole thing in the middle of the staff room. The whole mess of design, you know, like post-it notes and scribbles <laughs> and the whole thing. So people were just thinking, what are you doing as a design team? But it's become part of their daily, I suppose, they walk past it, part of their daily aesthetic. Yeah. And to now see it in its sort of final stages, people have felt like they've gone on the journey and also bringing students into it as well to really, truly design it with us and to have those aha moments. It just means like you're mm. not designing it alone, even as a group. It's bigger than just the group. So everybody has a shared responsibility in either bringing it to life or if it needs to go away to kill it. And so we're mm. very confident now that this is a really good design because someone would have absolutely killed it by now. With the students, how did they become involved and what roles did they play? So one of the biggest things that we wanted to do was look at some spotlight principles for other for year groups. So one of the year nines was co-design and we thought that's a really nice period mm -hmm. in time where they've, they've gone through kind of identity and belonging and, and being in year nine, being mm -hmm. young adolescents, they're now needing that sort of more I suppose, outward-facing response to whatever artefacts they were creating as part of their learning, and they were really ready for that. Mm. So we actually put it as an elective. We called it by design elective, and we said, here's a process of design thinking, here's some resources and curiosity points, but basically this is what we're wanting to do, and if you were us, what would you do? And some decided to take the process and work on their own 
concept of curiosity and that they either had to create something that was of value in terms of advocacy or action taking Mm. action on behalf of of someone else or others were really designing what this would look like as a shared experience for their peers or for future peers and we'd had so many aha moments through that just even in the kinds of supports that we design where we actually have spaces for design it's really opened our eyes up in terms of actually remodeling and repurposing parts of the school physical spaces in the school that activate design as well so having students on board I mean why would we not I can see why we haven't in the past perhaps we haven't had the nomenclature or the reason or we haven't understood user-centered design but that Mm -hmm. whole key to engagement has to be you've got to design this alongside the user. And that's been really great. People have been super curious now about a user experience. We've had teachers who've like basically kind of shadowed students in this remote world to understand their fatigue levels or what their engagement levels might be like. We've really looked at everything from where signage is to mapping spaces where students sort of walk across the school and and how they transect space. So it's really got people curious around ways of knowing and building empathy, which Mm. is quite amazing. Do you feel like there's been a shifting of power across those 18 months? So whether it's with different teachers from different departments or even sort of shifting that power to students as the decision makers, that the ones that are holding power about their learning. What have you noticed about how power has shifted over time? Yeah, it's a really great question and possibly something that wasn't even as deliberately considered as it is now. As you know, a process of design is an incredibly enabling and empowering one, particularly when there's mm. a shared language. So what we have seen, because we have designed something that is quite robust and it helps us to filter every action, interaction and reaction around learning and learning design, it helps us design from the ground up or reframe something that's already in play. It actually means that if it fits that criteria or it satisfies that process that we have delivered, people are able to take their own permissions to put things in play. That process And that artifact, like we've got a bio-design tool, a learning design tool that we have created, it really means that the executive or principal who traditionally have signed off on things really has helped anyone across the school build a case for the learning that they want to see. And it's very, very hard if if the tool says yes, it's hard to say no. So, (laughs) you know, that and that was something that I remember talking to the wonderful principal with early on that, it's the tool is going to decide and she was really happy with that to put that autonomy and that empowerment into the hands of both students and teachers has been really exciting so yeah do you feel like there's been a shift in culture that will see further sort of knock-on effects or amplification of those types of positive change most definitely and having I guess a little bit of a crystal ball with some other work that I do up in the Northern Territory, I can see the trajectory of what happens when we really deliberately activate students as designers and give them a really positive, I suppose, space for their ideas to go and be activated with the teachers or adults in their life as partners in their learning. Mm. So I think at this school level, we're definitely on the cusp of quite a significant shift, but I think the risk or the innovation appetite 
both with the Biodesign Project and COVID has really, I guess, made sure the status quo is no longer the thing that we subscribe to. It's really disproven the status quo. And so where nothing is certain, anything is possible. And what we've got on that as a layer is then a tool in which to design the kind of learning that might be possible now and into the future. So that's a real culture shift to have that shared language and that artifact to enable. That's a real culture Mm. shift. Some of the stuff in the territory, you know, using a similar process of identifying an issue, finding out more about it, trying something out and then providing your recommendations like knowing your idea either works or doesn't. We're four years now into students looking at school improvement data in teams, and I'm talking primary school students here, Mel. Wow. Working alongside their teachers. And at the end of the year, once they've gone through this process, they pitch their idea to the Minister of Education who makes recommendations to the chief executive and it then goes in school improvement plans across the territory. I mean, that's the power of simple design, deliberate discipline design process with a real-world application. So I know that it's going to have profound effects on this school and that's what we're aiming for, right, system-level change. Yeah, it sounds really exciting. Like it's got a real possibility to catalyze some significant change across the board. That's super exciting. If you had to sort of look back at this time, and I know you've sort of not finished it, what are some of the surprising moments or learning that you've understood in this project? I think one of the surprising things is the people that want to be involved when you make the process public, not just the outcome or the output. So the mm. the amount of people who have come on board that you would have thought, oh, gosh, I, I wouldn't have thought you would have been interested in this or had an appetite for it, but because it, they feel quite invited to be part of it just because it's on the wall or it's not locked away behind a closed door or it doesn't feel like, you know, a mean girls, you can't sit with us club, that's been... <laughs> That's actually shifted my work across the board. So now whenever I'm working with any team or or organisation, let's make our process as public as we can or as public as you're willing to. It will absolutely change who comes on board, how people start to talk about it on your behalf. Actually, that change management that always comes with some sort of project is somehow less of a process. It's a bit more of a brackish water as you start to solidify things through graphic design and folks start to see that it's the cement is hardening on your idea. They're all, they already feel like they've put their footprint in it. So that's been a massive learning for me and a a really nice aha moment. So it's been a, a challenge in this COVID world to look at some of those online tools that make the process and the thinking as visible as the output or the outcome. Beautiful. So we're coming to the end of the show, Summer. What's the sort of one wildly important goal for you over the next year related to your practice that you might share with others? I think a big goal for me is getting all of those beautiful threads across all of the bits of work that I do. Everybody has that real sense of how can we make the lives of whoever we're working with better, whether it be through Zoosby, the lives of sort of animals and environment and nature-based experiences, Mm -hmm. schools and their communities, systems and looking at learners in the teaching profession, to tie those together to say, here's a language of design, here's what these guys are doing over here, here's what 
is happening over here in this organisation, why don't you all start to work together? I mean, that's a wildly important goal at this point in time because we just don't want this magic of everybody being a designer right now lost. I don't want the status quo to snap back. (laughs) So I want to hold that elastic band as, as much as I can. Do you think people want it to snap back or do you feel that there is also this energy to hold that space open and continue to use this as a catalyzing sort of learning experience in its own right? It's a great question. I'd love to be able to say it's one or the other. I think on a daily basis people flip-flop and rightly so because we're humans and we have Mm. a nostalgia for the way things were and the predictability, even if it wasn't the best way we knew it. I think it's a little bit of both. I think there is always going to be that need for a face-to-face and I'd hate for us to lose that in schooling or education or learning or just, you know, humans doing human things. But I would also love Mm. for us to think that we could make better choices for flexibility and working arrangements and learning arrangements and probably just take that time to slow down slightly. I think people crave that. Summer, thank you for coming on Moments of Change. If people want to follow your journey, how can they find you? Two ways, definitely Twitter. You can follow me. I'm edusum (laughs) on Twitter and feel free to follow along with Eventful Learning Co. on Instagram. I try and capture some of those moments of joy and levity in learning and often I'm asking questions of folks as you know a little bit of a user experience or insights to bring everybody into education it's everybody's business awesome thank you we'll pop those in the show notes and it was lovely to have you on the show I hope that the damn border's open and we actually get to meet in person like seven years later that would be awesome so thank you very much (laughs) take care thanks mel that's all for this episode of moments of change if you liked this episode feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over a hundred episodes with episodes relating to service design product management design research and much much more You can join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network or join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. I look forward to sharing more stories with you. Until next time.